This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 33. Feedback and how feedback happens in our organizations is an incredibly important part of culture. If you aspire to have a culture where there is transparency, you aspire to a culture where people learn, if you aspire to a culture where people feel that they can be their best, then actually that's a culture where there's feedback. We often think of feedback as parts of a process, mid-year, etc. As HR leaders, let's helicopter up as well and remember that how we do this, how we lead it, how we govern it, how we create processes around it, how we build skills, how we structure our technology, we're actually influencing culture. Why are mid-year conversations so important to building a culture of high performance and accountability? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. This week, we are launching a new series called What Works. Each What Works episode will feature HR executives and thought leaders who have been there, done that, and are ready to share their actionable and real-world advice with you. In our What Works episodes, you can expect us to deep dive into topics like talent reviews, performance management, organizational design, compensation, and much more. In our first What Works episode, we are zeroing in on and will discuss what really matters when it comes to designing effective mid-year conversations. To help us kick off What Works series, we are fortunate to have Angela Lane and Sergey Gorbatov joining us today. Angela and Sergey are co-authors of a terrific book called Fair Talk, Three Steps to Powerful Feedback. It is a must-read for all HR pros and their people leaders. Currently, Angela is the Global VP of Talent at AbbVie, where she's been instrumental in designing and implementing their talent strategies and culture. Sergey is a talent executive who writes, speaks, and teaches about the complex science of human performance and careers. They are both incredible people, and I could not think of two better practitioners to share their wisdom on mid-year conversations and giving feedback. During our conversation, Angela, Sergey, and I will discuss... How mid-year reviews can impact the performance of your business. The three-step model that will radically improve how your managers are delivering feedback. Why mid-year reviews are not about the conversation, but rather the actions that follow it. Why it's important that you hold people leaders accountable for having mid-year conversations. And the common mistakes that leaders make when delivering feedback and how to fix them. Without further ado, let's get to our first What Works episode on mid-year conversations. Sergey, Angela, welcome to the Future of HR. How are you both doing? Thank you for having us back. I'm doing real well. It's great to be back, JP. Doing great. Well, Sergey and Angela, you actually have the honor of being the first guests to come back on for the second time, but that's because I'm a huge fan of Fair Talk and how you think about giving feedback. And there are not two better people in the world to talk about feedback than Angela and Sergey. So I am so grateful to have you on the podcast today and to talk about this important topic. So my first question 
to Angela is, why does the mid-year review feedback matter? It goes without saying, feedback should happen all the time. It also goes without saying that it doesn't. Some work that Sagay and I did, some research, uh, we had 30% of managers report that they actually give no feedback at all. So if they're the ones that are willing to own it, <laughs> I can only imagine the number's probably higher. So as a minimum, and I really mean this is the minimum, mid-year is a great way for HR professionals, the people on this call, to make sure feedback happens. It's that concept of let's make sure we don't get to year-end with surprises. We don't like surprises. That said, that's the minimum. It can be so much more than that. And there are three things I would encourage every HR practitioner to be talking about to their leaders this is a time, mid-year is a time, when you can still make a difference to how the business performs. The year's not done yet. Feedback now can change results. So I'd be reinforcing that. Also, feedback, when it's broken down into smaller parts, whether it's the half year, it would be better to be quarter or month, but when you break it down, it's an actual manageable change that someone can do. And that means you're going to see their results come, they're going to come more quickly because it's really broken down into that manageable chunk. The last thing we should never forget from an HR perspective is that, you know, and we should communicate this to leaders too, by the way, employees get satisfied, deeply satisfied with feedback that's provided fairly. There's a principle in, in psychology, the progress principle, people love to know how they're doing and have a sense that they're advancing. And you can't give that motivational sense to people unless you give feedback. At least four good reasons for mid-year. At least. Great point you're making there around performance. Not only the business can improve, but that individual's performance might be able to improve as well, right? Maybe you're not trending to get an outstanding or you're kind of maybe just an average performer at that point, but you want to get better. This is the opportunity to hear that from your leader. And in a manageable way, so that you can make a difference for the business and you'll feel more engaged and satisfied at the same time. It's a no-brainer. Sergey, for you, what's different about this conversation than other conversations throughout the year? Before going into what's different, I want to state what's the same because sometimes we focus too much on what's changing, but what stays at the core with any feedback message and that is the way uh, how it's delivered. So I just wanted to remind our listeners about the model that we teach. Um, so in, in the book that Angela and I wrote, The Fair Talk, we say that there is a three-step model, how any good feedback is prepared and delivered. And that is, tell why this feedback matters, tell how I'm doing, and tell me what I need to do differently. So it's always important to tell, what, to tell the recipient why what they hear matters. The second, the feedback needs to be fair. Otherwise, it's not worth mentioning or it can do more damage. You need to tell them if they're meeting expectations, if they're not meeting expectations or they're exceeding expectations. And third, feedback needs to be developmental. So we need to forward the action and we need to tell them what they need to be doing differently. Okay, so that is the core and that needs to stay the same. What's different about this media review? Well, first, very often those conversations don't happen organically. And in many companies, they are optional 
or many companies don't pay, uh, don't put as much weight into those conversations. So if in your organization, this media review is not the natural part of the cycle or it's optional, it's not mandatory, then maybe you have an opportunity. And if people leaders are listening to us, then this is your chance to build your personal brand as a leader who cares, right? And having those conversations with your people as this checkpoint to check in with your people on their progress. Also, because this conversation happens along the way in the performance management cycle, uh, as a leader, you may need to recontract the goals and the real-line expectations uh, because the goal points may have shifted. So that makes conversations different in nature. And one other aspect of this mid-year is that in many organizations, there is a connection with the timing of talent reviews. So many companies advise the people managers to hold these conversations uh, so that the outcomes of that those talent reviews are shared and the development planning and the career planning is informed with, uh, with that. So very often the core of this media review check-ins are mo- mostly targeted towards development and career growth. So those would be the key points of difference that I would highlight here. It sounds like a pro tip, having talent reviews around the same time and leveraging that feedback. I don't know, Angela, any, anything more you'd want to add on that or, Sergey, that you've seen that works and how people should think about that? Because I'm not sure a lot of people really are combining those today. I think there's a natural intersection between how I'm doing today as an employee and where I want to go from a career perspective. And actually, in other work that we do, Sergey and I talk a lot about one of the prerequisites for a great career is doing great work. So we see a very natural link and really appreciate when those conversations can be um, connected because you won't have, you know, you won't realize your potential, for example, if you're not doing great work today. Let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of mid-years and frequency. Should we be giving performance ratings? I'm just curious, do you have other perspectives on what really matters when it comes to some of the process and logistics that we maybe get hung up on way too much? What really matters in, in, in those conversations is an honest assessment of what was agreed at the beginning of the assessment period. And that assessment period can be a week, a month, a quarter, or a year. That's not the point. The point is we agreed that you will perform X. And now we're meeting and you, we are at the end of the cycle or we're in the middle of the cycle or we are at, at a, a quarter way in the cycle and we are having discussion. Are you exceeding that's my expectations? Are you meeting the expectations or are you falling short of the expectations? And if so, what are the reasons? What can you be doing differently? And what support do you need? And what development do you need in, in order to make sure that goal will be achieved? Or maybe we need to recontract something because the environment might have shifted. Something has happened. So that's the nature of the conversation that needs to be happening. Are you in the organization that has ratings? You may be in that type of organization. You may be not. So uh, it's all very contextual, but let's focus on the core of the conversation itself 
because ratings, timelines, the context, the absolute, all that is externalities. But the core of the conversation is really we agreed upon something and now we're meeting to discuss are you living up to that agreement and how are you doing? Yeah, why it's important, how you're doing, and what you need to be doing differently. The three steps of the feedback message. Yeah, so that is the core of the conversation. Well, I just want two points I'd add. One is be wary of those people that tell you that it's all about the conversation. It is all about the action that results from the conversation. You can't tick the box just because you sat with someone. It has to be very intentional. What do we agree, to Sergey's point, what do we agree we're going to do differently in the future? So uh, language matters. How we talk about it matters. Conversation, yes, and the actions that follow from it. You did mention what about the system of record. Fully agree it's not about our HR systems, our HR back office, except one caveat. Those systems, those processes can make leaders have greater accountability and Perhaps we can come back to the question of accountability, but why doesn't feedback happen? It's because we don't have systems to hold us accountable. So where you have those, they are the mechanism of action by which you will make sure the conversation and subsequent actions happen. I think your point is so important that it is about the action of the conversation because I know, I think even I've said myself, it's about the conversation. And sometimes you forget about that action piece. So great to underline that and put an exclamation point on that. Angela, what about the soft skills that leaders need to effectively give feedback? What do those look like? The first thing I'd say is perhaps more about a way of thinking about things than a skill. But really, if your leaders have a performance mindset, if they understand that their job is diagnosing performance, if they understand their job to be, I give feedback in order to improve performance, if they believe that that's what they're paid for, part of what they're paid for, that really helps. Because on that belief, if they have that mindset, you can build, easily build the skills of giving feedback. So what are some of those skills? They're actually communication skills in, in many cases. Two of the common problems we see with feedback is that people walk away, employees walk away, and what they take from the conversation is not necessarily what they needed to take from it. The first thing we see is that people come away going, I don't get it. My manager gave me kind of a vague sense that something was maybe not right. Maybe there was a lot of detail, but I can't really understand what the core of that was. Maybe I got so much detail, I'm totally overwhelmed. So just this idea that people come away baffled. And often that happens because leaders don't want to be clear. And we have to skill our leaders to give clear feedback that is to the point and direct. The second trap is that we see people, leaders, try and soft coat, sugar coat, I think the word is, what's the word? Uh, soften feedback. They think they're maintaining relationships or they think they're being kind or sensitive. But people don't understand. They come away not understanding. You've got to lift performance. And so aiding people with the communication skills to deliver tough, clear messages that are not sugar-coated, really, really important. Otherwise, we go through all the pain of mid-year 
and we get none of the results that we expect from it. Last thing we can skill leaders in is just prime them on the importance of empathy. You're not going to change a leader's personality, but you can remind them of the importance of being empathetic, understanding that an employee's context may vary, understand that you need to make sure you're listening to the employee and that they feel heard, reinforcing skills that confirm understanding. They can still be clear on expectations, on the outcomes they need, but they can display empathy. When talking about the importance of empathy, I think that the pandemic that we've lived through has just really brought it into relief, the importance of being human and being empathetic. Um, in, in our work, we, we write and teach about honest feedback, not sugar-coated. Research will tell you that feedback to women tends to be much more sugar-coated than feedback to men. Men get more honest feedback and perpetrating systemic bias in the organization. But at the same time, no matter how honest and truthful feedback is, it can't be brutal. And you need to understand the person because feedback is a tool. And with a tool, you can build a house, a cathedral, a place of worship, or you can kill someone. The fact that something is true doesn't mean that it needs to be heard. Empathy and being human really important, particularly today as we're emerging from, from the aftermath of this pandemic. Yeah, it's so important. You really have to have that psychological safety, knowing that the person who's giving that feedback has positive intent and wants you to get better. And, and I'm thinking, you know, it's, it, psychological safety is such a good topic for us in the context of feedback. If we think about psychological safety, if we think it's this idea of being able to bring oneself to work without fear, if it means being accepted and respected, obviously feedback, you know, done badly, can potentially damage that self-image that, uh, that we have. It means that we need as HR professionals to help leaders craft feedback in ways that doesn't damage self-image. However, that does not take away our obligation to make sure that our leaders are simultaneously honest about current performance. And, you know, obviously, how hard is it for anyone these days to get the balance right? It's challenging. But we really need to focus on training leaders to describe behaviours, not people, behaviours, and the outcomes those behaviours cause. And when we do that, we find that balance between an environment which is safe, but one which is also oriented to improving performance. I would emphasize, Angela, what you talked about, the focusing on the behaviors you want to see and how that leads to improved performance is really important when you're giving that feedback because you want to guide people the right way. It's not about the person, not make it personal, but it's about you know making sure you hit your deliverables you know, taking initiative for certain things, et cetera, you know, helping people understand what you really want to see is the most important part that a lot of managers, I think, get a little bit lost on. And what I like to do, and tell me if you agree with this, I really propose the people leaders that I have supported to say, just pick two things. That's it. Two behaviors, two things you want this person to do better. 
that's going to help you and the team perform better. Don't give the 30 things. Just give them two things. Be very specific and have that conversation because most people can't absorb more than the two topics anyways. And I found that's worked for me. But what approaches have you been taking in training people leaders to solve some of these challenges? Yeah, we would absolutely agree on focus and coming at it from a perspective that if you want people to take action as a result of feedback, that implies they're going to change. Change is difficult. It's going to require focus and attention and people cannot develop across, you know, 10 different fronts. So we would, we would fully agree. And we often say our formula for development, one thing, you know, one thing that matters. And, you know, you can knock it off and you can move to the next thing. And we also encourage people to break that thing down. So don't, don't give me, you know, strategy to work on. Don't tell me I have to be, you know, better at executive presence. Break it down into the sort of smallest thing that someone could reasonably act on. And that's where you'll see re- results. I think the other tip too, of course, if we're getting feedback as HR leaders, is to really push and say, well, you said executive presence. What does that mean for you? Tell me more about that. Right? Pull it out of the people leader because sometimes they may, not, they, they may have good intentions but not be able to describe it. But you start to do the five whys a little bit with them and all of a sudden you get to the end of it and it's actually very something very tangible and behavioral that you can change. But we don't always push back enough. We sort of just take that corporate speak and move on. And, and one of the things that is a big opportunity, I think, is spending time with leaders on how do you diagnose any performance issue? You're going to want to look at, you know, what is it that the employee controls versus what is caused by the environment that we're in. You're going to need to contextualize it. Is that employee brand new on the role or have they been it? How do you actually diagnose what's up? We call it, can you figure out what's up? That's a great tip. Let's talk a little bit about feedback in this hybrid remote environment they're in. What are the challenges, Sergey, that leaders are facing when giving feedback in a remote and work environment? First of all, the challenges that managers had in the physical world are just getting bigger. So we just talked about managers not being able to diagnose the performance issues properly. Well, that's just being exacerbated. If I don't know what's up, now that I don't see you every day, I have even less of an idea of what's up. And uh, one, because of the nature of the work, it's knowledge work. Eh? Uh, you're not making widgets. You're not making horseshoes. Uh, we are producing ideas. Eh? We're writers. We're creators. So the nature of the work itself, I, I can't see it. But also with the pandemic, the employees have been taken out of the offices and put in, into their homes. So now it's not only I don't see the work, I also don't see the worker. So how am I supposed to manage your work and give feedback on it? It's a different skill set for the managers. It's, it's additional challenge. But with that challenge comes an opportunity. If I, as a manager, as a people leader, if I want to improve productivity, what do I need to manage? Well, I need to manage proper goal setting. I need to manage proper monitoring and giving you feedback. And I need to manage your development. Because if I want your performance to be better, 
I need to invest in capability. I need to invest in proper resource allocation. And I need to invest in proper setting the system for you to perform well and removing the obstacles that you might encounter. So managers need to start thinking differently if they want to manage performance in this new way. And you also think that the pandemic has also impacted the way that leaders approach giving feedback. Have we gotten better at this? Or to your point, we're still using an old toolkit but now in a virtual environment, but have we gotten better at it? Well, you know, those who didn't give feedback continue doing just that. I'm going back to the, one of the original comments, Andrew, you talked about the 30% of people who aren't giving feedback at all. And really thinking about the accountability piece. It's a really important piece. Maybe, is there anything else we should be thinking about from an accountability and driving accountability for having developmental and performance-driven conversations in your organization? You know, we think the biggest risk actually at mid-year is just that it doesn't happen. It's a busy time of year. In many parts of the world, there's the summer recess. People will go away. In many organizations, mid-year is optional. In some cases, it might be required, but there's no mechanism for monitoring that. HR needs to have processes that hold leaders accountable. There are different ways that you can achieve this. You know, some are more bureaucratic, perhaps some are less bureaucratic, but you can't leave it to chance. The typical approaches that we we see that we like are recording feedback in the system of record. It doesn't have to be detailed. Even at, did you give feedback check? Yes, uh, is a way of creating accountability. Another really simple mechanism, ask employees. If I'm a business partner and I'm responsible for manufacturing, ask a cross-section of employees. Things like that that can hold leaders accountable because the human condition is we prefer not to give feedback. HR is fighting against the human condition. So if we're going to do that, we need high levels of accountability. I love the surveying employees or asking employees. I've seen in my past life where you actually let people leaders know we're going to survey everybody at the end of the mid-year to say, how did it go? Rate the feedback you received. What are the opportunities? And so it starts setting a bar to take it really seriously because people know they might get scores back or hear back that we are going to monitor, right? Just that piece of accountability to your point of whether it's in the system or just letting people know we're watching and it's important, really, really matters. For companies that have engagement surveys, culture surveys, maybe pulse surveys, you know, two, three, four questions around, I have clear expectations set for what I need to achieve. I am regularly given feedback on my progress. And, you know, I know what I need to do in order to improve. Simple as that. I made those up as we, as we speak, hugely helpful in measuring the quality of our people leaders on some real fundamentals. And you're right, it can drive leader accountability and help leaders get good at stuff that at the end of the day, it's not hard. We just don't like it. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, so is there any last takeaways that you want to leave our listeners with as they think about mid-year conversations and giving feedback? I would just remind us that Feedback and how feedback happens in our organizations is an incredibly important part of culture. If you aspire to have a culture where there is transparency, if you aspire to a culture where people learn, 
if you aspire to a culture where people feel that they can be their best, then actually that's a culture where there's feedback. We often think of feedback as parts of a process, mid-year, etc. As HR leaders, let's helicopter up as well and remember that how we do this, how we lead it, how we govern it, how we create processes around it, how we build skills, how we structure our technology, we're actually influencing culture. And that is a really important and laudable part of the work that we do. Sergey and Angela, thank you so much for being with us today, sharing your knowledge around feedback and the importance of mid-year conversations and driving culture. Incredible conversation, incredible insights. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Angela and Sergey for their terrific insights and advice on how to have effective mid-year conversations that drive performance. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next gen of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Matt Breitfelder, who is the Global Head of Human Capital and Partner at Apollo Global Management, a high-growth alternative asset management firm with more than $500 billion under management. In our conversation, Matt and I discuss his career journey, why he believes using data is the key to building a high-performance organization, and why coaching is a superpower that all HR leaders need to develop. Matt has been named one of the top 25 CHROs globally by Stanford Business School and Into Growth. So trust me when I say you will not want to miss this conversation. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.